instead of mine. And Jesus, we come before you. Father, we respect you for sending your son here, that we can come here together this morning and celebrate that we don't have to come here together every Sunday morning to know who you are, to have a relationship with you. And just that the work through your spirit <clears throat> leaves, leaves with us outside of the doors of, of this building, and you walk with us every day, whether we realize it or not. We just ask that we would tune our hearts towards you this morning, and that we would hear your voice clearly. Amen. So I have a confession to make. I have been dreading this moment. Uh, I've been dreading it because no no matter how much I prepared and I studied in the scripture and in various books, I just couldn't find words that fit. And in fact, I had a whole sermon prepared on Thursday. And then last night, as I was laying in bed about to fall asleep, God told me that that sermon was no good. So you're stuck with what I could come up with typing on my phone last night. I think I just broke like one of the first rules in public speaking. (laughs) Uh, So this morning I'm supposed to be sharing about how we can be intentional and connecting with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that we can live our lives with purpose because he's a part of it. And the thing is, is I honestly don't feel adequate to teach on this subject. And it's because it's an area in my life where I constantly fail. Uh, I go throughout my life, and I often wonder what it is that God wants me to do. I misinterpret things. I treat other people like garbage. I let myself get consumed with worry and doubt. I don't respond to the opportunities that God sets before me. Or I respond way too soon when he just wants me to wait. I'm impatient, and I'm stubborn. I hate waiting at red lights. I'm full of pride, and I think of myself as better than other people all the time. When I read the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, I see these amazing experiences and amazing promises of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the people in the pages there. And I wonder why it is I don't see more of that. So we're going to look at Acts 2 today. Start in verse 14. If you want to follow on, it'd be great. That way you can make sure I'm not making stuff up. I mean, it was really late last night when I was writing this. And as well as I just, I really encourage you to use the Bible like a textbook. Underline things. Circle. Highlight. Write notes in the margin. So you don't have to keep relearning the same lessons over and over. Hey? So, just to set up the context of Acts 2, 14, where we're going to start. There's a bunch of guys, and they're freaked out of their mind, and they're hiding in some unknown back street of Jerusalem in a house, praying that no one finds them. Because if they're found, they're likely going to face getting arrested and trial for stealing Jesus' body and claiming it was a resurrection. The only real proof that they had that Jesus was, in fact, still alive, had floated up into the clouds. He had left. I'd be freaked out too. I'd be scared. And in fact, sometimes I actually am still scared to share the things that I know. So, they're, su- they're sitting there, and then suddenly like a violent backdraft comes into the room, and fire settles down on all of them, and then they run out into the street. Remember, they were hiding, but now they run out into the street, and they're yelling gibberish or something, 
And a crowd comes and gathers around the people, and it's kind of like a train wreck. Like, you don't want to watch, but you have to watch. And because they think these people are drunk, and drunk people do amusing things. You sit around and watch this. Then Peter, who's the leader of this band of social misfits, he stands up and he says this in verse 14. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I guess that just implies that they don't get drunk till later. I'm not sure. I can't imagine what it's like to lose, my, lose control of myself in such a way for God that people would make the mistake that I'm drunk. I've come a long way, haven't we? Like, I've never heard that in any of the people that I've invited to church or any of the visitors that have come. It's not like they're saying, whoa, those guys are loaded. <laughs> what are they on? Instead, I'm probably more likely to hear like, you know, I wouldn't mind hanging out with you people if you just had a few and uh, relaxed a bit. Lighten up. Then Peter goes on and he quotes from the book of Joel. This was written hundreds of years before, but it was explaining what was happening right there in front of their eyes. Have you ever read the book of Joel? Anyone? Yeah. Um, Let alone memorize it? I don't know how he remembers this. I can hardly remember what I had for breakfast. I can never remember where I put my keys. And here, Peter is quoting out of a random passage of the book of Joel. Here it goes. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So this is actually happening now. He's saying these are the last days. God's always been so distant. And when he did act, it was always through some sort of spiritual guru, like Abraham or Moses, Joseph, David, Jesus. But now he wants everyone to know what it's like to have him whisper in their ears. Apparently, it makes you act drunk. Makes you lose control. It makes you into his, into his human object lesson. Now, part of this makes me angry because I don't see God act this way in my life. I mean, I screwed up things so bad that I wish he would take over. I wish that he would just send me a sign. I wish he'd make things clear. I wish I knew. I wish I really, really knew what he wanted me to do. But most of the time, I just feel like I'm guessing. But on the flip side of that, the idea of him taking control over me freaks me right out. As much as being assimilated by the Borg. I don't want him to have control over me. Not really. I don't want to be thought of as a drunk or insane or crazy. And I definitely don't want him to make me do things that I don't want to do. It reminded me of this old song that we sang in church when I was little, and I think it was actually meant as a joke, but it's stayed with me. It was called, um, Don't Send Me to Africa. And it says, I'll serve you here in suburbia in my comfortable middle-class life, but please don't send me out into the bush where the natives are restless at night. (laughs) And yet, that's kind of the point, right? The world's screwed up because we're all trying to be in control of our own lives. We have to look out for number one, after all, and, uh, and look where that's gotten us. 
Whenever people look out for their own self-interests, we see a path of violence and crime, abuse, kidnapping, racism, slander, genocide, poverty, injustice, unfaithfulness, disloyalty, and lies. And then when it happens in the church, instead of people in the outside world looking at us and seeing us as servants and reflections of Jesus, they just see us as judgmental hypocrites. Remember, we need to remember that God so loves the world that he's willing to give up our lives for it. Now imagine these guys back in their story in Acts, spilling out into the streets, finally understanding what it was that Jesus was talking about on that night that he was taken away and arrested. He had sat with them. I don't know if it was around a campfire. I don't know if they had just been singing some songs. You know, like feeling really good about having this Passover meal in their, in their bellies and the significance of him washing their feet and they're going to take over the world. And what does he do? He sits down and he tells them something. I'll read it here. This is out of the message, John 14. It says, Believe me, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. If you can't believe that, believe what you see, these works. The person who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things. Because I, on my way to my Father, am giving you the same work to do that I have been doing. You can count on it. From now on, Whatever you request along the lines of who I am and what it is that I'm doing, I'll do it. That's how the Father will be seen for who he is in the Son. I mean it. Whatever you request in this way, I'll do. If you love me, show, me, show it to me by doing what I've told you. I'll talk to the Father. He'll provide you another friend so that you will always have someone with you. This friend is the spirit of truth. This is the Holy Spirit. The godless world can't take him in because it doesn't have the eyes to see him. It doesn't know what to look for. But you know him already because he's been staying with you and he will be even in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming back. In just a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you're going to see me because I'm alive and you're about to come alive. And at that moment, you will know absolutely that I am in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. Jesus did some amazing things, right? He healed sick people. He restored sight to the blind. He told some amazing stories. He raised people from the dead. And yet, here he is, and he says that we, as followers of his, can do greater things than him. That we can come alive in him. How in the world is this possible? It's possible only if we understand more of who Jesus is and how he lived his life on earth. And that really is the main job of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's to help us see Jesus better. God is so hard to comprehend. So hard to sort out. Is he male? Is he female? Does he have real emotions? How can he be everywhere at once? How do we sort out free will versus predestination? Can God microwave something so hot he can't touch it? Why did he make mosquitoes? Jesus, on the other hand, is something we can sort of wrap our heads around. I mean, I still think of him as an enigma wrapped in a mystery. Um, but at least we know 
But he's a guy. He lived in the first century. And he was Jewish. He had a beard. He was human. And here is where it gets really crazy to me. He burped. <laughs> he had BO. He used the bathroom. He slept. He had mood swings. He probably even had a crush. Sometimes we can forget just how human Jesus was. Yes, he was God. But in the book of Philippians, it says he didn't perceive equality with God as something to be grasped. In order to truly save us and to pave the way for us in a new life, he had to give up being God and live his life as a man. It's hard when we have the children's Bible version of Jesus stuck in our heads. That Jesus is so white that he is glowing. And he's wearing some sort of gleaming white toga. And either it's a red or a blue sash. That's how he mixes it up. He's holding a lamb and he kind of hovers several inches off the ground and he doesn't have a speck of dirt on him. How relatable is that to our existence at all? Like most of us are covered up to our ears in the messy dirt of our lives. And here he is hovering above it all. Now how Jesus interacted with the Spirit himself may actually give us a clue as to how we are supposed to try and add more of the divine into our lives. So here's three different scenarios. Number one, Jesus looked human, but he actually operated entirely on divine superpowers to get him through life. So this would kind of be like Superman. In this case, we'll never be able to match what he did alone, yet alone let it exceed it. Like, I can't be Superman. I can wear the shirt. How relatable is that to us? If he can just like zip-zap past every temptation just by snapping his finger. How difficult is suffering if he can just divinely turn off his pain receptors? Option two, he lived like a human through the mundane stuff, but then would transform into God mode when he needed to. And this is more like Jesus as a mighty morphin power ranger. That was a sentence I never thought I would say in my life. <laughs> and unless he can turn on my superpowers when I need them, then all those same problems exist. That we can't actually replicate or imitate such immense powers. At least I've never been able to. And there's one more option. That Jesus actually lived his earthly life as, as human as you and me. But he was completely dependent on his relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit to give him the gifts and abilities he needed to know what people were thinking, to perform healings, along with everything else. If that's the case, <clears throat> then Jesus as the lone representative of God on earth was limited to being in one place at one time. But when he leaves... He enables the Spirit to be poured out on all people. And suddenly, his impact on the world is greater than it ever could have been if he would have just stayed here physically. I find it appealing, really. And I read a book this week by Francis Chan called The Forgotten God, which is on the Holy Spirit. And if you actually want to have some sort of intellectual thinking about this, read that instead of listen to me. He says, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I don't want people to look at my life. I want people to look at my life and know that it couldn't be doing this on my own power. 
I want to live in such a way that I am desperate for him to come through. That if he doesn't come through, I'm screwed. And then he wrote, I probably shouldn't write that in here. But that's how I truly feel about this. So how can we know he's here? How can we know that if he's in our, if he's in our lives or not? Do we need to run out of the building right now and just like start screaming until people randomly like gather around us and wonder where the keg is? Because I bet the people in the hockey rink would be all up for it. This brings me to the next part of the prophecy here in Acts 2, Peter's quoting. He's standing up in front of an ever-growing crowd explaining exactly what it means that the Spirit has come. He says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So, let's say that I came up here and I told you that the spirit of Wayne Gretzky had entered into my body. Would you not then expect that I would have increased speed and agility and, and knowledge of hockey? Because I am a self-admitted American who really doesn't understand hockey in the slightest. And I've never actually played ice hockey once in my entire existence. And um, so if I made such a claim about this, but I couldn't display the evidence of it, would you not question whether or not I had actually ever had this encounter? If the Spirit of God is in me, how come I don't see more evidence of him? How come I don't have any visions? How come I can't remember my dreams? Why aren't more people being healed? Why aren't there more prophecies? Now, there is all sorts of theological explanations for this, and I am not going to cover all of them today. You know, like there's different ways that people interact with God. There is just no one, one way. I appreciate the Catholic brothers and sisters that we have, Orthodox friends of mine, who respond really well to the Father, to the authoritative, respectful version of God. I respect the people within the Pentecostal movement, who really experience the Holy Spirit on a day-to-day basis. Man, there's pros and cons of all the different ways that we approach God. The thing is that He is a trinity. And He isn't, there isn't just one way to interact with Him. But all of us, He just comes and meets us where we're at. But here's the explanation that I came across that made sense to me. And it wasn't in a biblical commentary and it wasn't in a theological textbook. Instead, it was as I was exploring art instruction. And it was a book called Drawing on the Right Side of Your Brain. And in this book, the author explains the perspective shift that takes place between the different sides of our brains. And the book uses the analogy of driving. So when we're learning to drive, It's the left side of our brains. It's it's trying to analyze and synthesize all of this information and attempting to organize it into a system of labels. So there's a lot to remember when you're learning to drive. Like, how much pressure do I put on the gas pedal? Which one is the gas in the brake? You know, like, don't drive on the sidewalk. Remember what the signs say. What is the speed limits? All these types of things. I have been in some, as a youth worker, I've helped kids learn how to drive, and I have experienced all of the terror and panic of what it means to learn how to drive. But now, after I've been driving for 20 years, sometimes I can get in my car, 
and arrive at my destination and not remember how I got there. So I figure either I've been abducted by aliens or the process has switched over into the right side of my brain where I just actually seamlessly process all of this information without having to label it. Now, um, I'm going to transfer driving from a left brain experience to a right brain experience. When it comes to art, say we want to draw a car. Okay? Now, when we go to draw the wheel, we know that wheels are circles, right? Our brain tells us that. But if we're drawing the car at any angle other than like straight side perspective, it's actually not a circle, right? And so you end up with this weird looking thing and then it's got circles on the bottom of it. And that's why most of us just resort to drawing cars from the side, okay? So the, the book actually had an exercise that helps defeat this process by taking whatever it is that we want to draw and flipping it upside down. And when we do this, our brain has a harder time of trying to interpret what those different lines are. And you just uncover a little bit of it at a time, upside down, and you just draw the lines that you see. And when I did this in the book, I drew the most amazing picture of a horse I had ever drawn in my entire life. So, now that we've finished art instruction for the day, the application for my art was good. But the application for my spiritual life was even better. And I realized the reason I never saw the Holy Spirit it's because I was allowing my brain to interpret and label things I was seeing in other ways. The vision I had was just a daydream. The prophecies were just random thoughts. And my dreams were caused by eating too many nacho cheese Doritos. My divine encounter was merely just a funny coincidence. We need to actually flip our view of the world upside down and see the spirit for who he really is. Not just in the ways I expect him to be moving. If we can start to do that, I think many of us would actually see God moving in and around us more often. So how do we intentionally turn our worldview upside down? How do I listen to the Spirit more in my life? Instead of talking about it, I actually want to take a few moments today to try hearing from the Spirit this morning. And I'd like to ask the band members to come back up here and help me with this. So on your chairs... I put three, three by five index cards. And I want you to pick up those cards now. And if you don't have one, there should be some in the rows around you. I'd love everybody to have one. I'm going to lead off with a prayer asking the Holy Spirit to be faithful to our request for him to speak. And we're going to play some music during that time. And I want you during that time to, to take up a reflective attitude with Jesus, with the Spirit. And I want you to write any words that come to your mind. Draw any pictures that you might see in your imagination, any Bible verses or references or movie quotes. I don't know what it is. Whatever passes through your thoughts. Write everything down, okay, that you think you hear. Now, now some of them may be completely crazy, and it may seem ridiculous or irrelevant, uh, but I want you to put it on the paper anyway. Some of it might be your brain labels, but they might be the spirit. And I'll show you how to, to process and test this out afterward. And if you need a pen, just put up your hand and the ushers can come bring you one. Okay? As we play through one song, I don't want you to worry about singing along. Instead, I want you just to focus 
on Jesus, get into the mode of hearing, of listening. And it may seem really awkward. You may have never done anything like this. And I understand that. I get it. It's kind of awkward for me to even suggest this. But I want to give it a try. I didn't want to just talk about having an experience with God. I wanted to see if it was possible for us to do that here this morning. And what do you say? Like, isn't it worth the risk? What if you actually have a chance to hear directly from God this morning? Like, don't you think that's worth a shot? All right, so I'm going to pray. Father, you've said that you're a shepherd and we can hear your voice. And that you do that through the work of your Holy Spirit. I know that you know each one of us intimately. You know how we think. You know how we process things. And we're just asking here this morning, not for you to perform some sort of magic trick, but for for us to just be intent to listening to who you are. We know that you're real. And we know that you really want to communicate with us today.
All right, let's come back together here. I remember the first time that I went through a process like this. I, I asked Jesus to come and speak with me. I asked the Spirit to be present, and I sat down and I just tried to listen. And I wrote down a list of everything that I thought I heard. And it was the most random things would come through my head. And I, every time they would come, they would just pull me away and I'd go off on rabbit trails. So some of it was like, I'm trying to be spiritual, and so I put that down. And then it's like, oh, there's bird chirping outside. I wonder why it's chirping. I'm like, oh, well, I'll just write bird chirping. And then it's like, I like flying squirrels. I'm like, where did that come <laughs> What? You know, and maybe someone's name comes up to be there. And, you know, and, and on and on it goes. And I finished after, I don't remember how long, half an hour that I dedicated towards it. And I'm like, this was the stupidest thing I've ever done. Like, but I committed to doing this for a week. And so every day I sat there and I, I just tried to listen to what it was. And the whole week was like this. And the last day, I'm like, oh, this is so done. This didn't work. And then I just started paging through the sheets of paper from before. And all of a sudden, I saw something pop out of the page. And I realized what I thought was a random thought in the midst of all of these was actually the Spirit trying to say the same thing to me every day. And I just hadn't noticed until I took the time to do a similar thing to what we're doing here, to hear from him. So if it didn't work for you, I mean, that's okay. It's okay. It doesn't mean that he isn't, doesn't like you. It doesn't mean that he could never speak to you. It might mean that he doesn't speak to you in this way either, and that's, that's okay. And one of the things that we need to realize here, and one of the mistakes that we often make within the evangelical portion of our faith, is that we try to hear the voice of God for us individually. And we might not hear from God as often as we like, simply because he isn't so concerned about just us and just the walk that we're on, but how we're on this walk together as a community. And he often gives gifts to the church to help enable the people within this community and the people outside the walls of this community understand and hear from him better. So if we look back in our story in Acts 2, and we see it's not just personal experiences. Peter keeps going on beyond the dreams and visions and the prophetic and he wants to extend that out beyond that. Here it says, I'll show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen to the reasoning behind the signs. It's not for power. It's not for control. It's not for miracle hunting but so other people will be drawn to Jesus. So everyone that can call on the name of Jesus will be saved. So what I want you to do with these cards now, so this is a little bit of another awkward step, is I want you to take them and bring them into the aisle. So you can pass them in to the aisle, and then whoever's on the end, just kind of just scatter them out on the floor. Okay? So pass them over to the inner aisles there, and just toss them out onto the floor. Okay? Now, we're going to play through one more song. What I want you to do is I want you to actually get up from your seats, and I want you to go into the aisles, and I want you to collect a card. 
any card that you're drawn to, but still want you to move in an attitude of listening. You don't have to pick the closest card. You can walk all the way to the other side, to the other church, as we refer to it, on this side. Okay, and um, you don't have to pick out the same color as the one that you wrote. Now, some of the stuff you wrote on there might feel like, this personal, this is mine, I don't want to give it away, and I respect that. Um, at the same time, like, who knows what it is that God is saying that he might want to communicate to you. So just go, pick it up, go back to your seat. We're going to play another song. I read, everybody that wrote on a card should participate in this. That makes it way less awkward if everybody's getting up. Okay? And as the band plays, look over the card you selected and ask yourself if there's anything on this random card that doesn't seem so random. It may hit you right away. It may take a while. It may not happen at all. Again, this is not a magic trick. I'm not some sort of illusionist. Okay? <laughs> We're simply just collectively trying to hear the Spirit's voice. And, um, all right, I'm going to pray again. Jesus, I just ask that you would come right now, that you would show us how powerful and how amazing you are, that you are beyond anything that we can ask for or comprehend, that you can move in and beyond our logic and beyond our understanding, beyond our brain labels. And I just ask that you would use this time and this exercise here to speak with us today. Let it be. Go ahead.
you to all of you who have just taken the step to at least indulge me this morning. And I hope that through this, that you may have stumbled on to the Spirit's voice in your life. Would anybody be willing to raise their hand if, if they feel that God has spoken to them today? anybody be willing to share? I can send a microphone to you. You don't have to come up here. Gary? Hey, Brad's coming with the mic. Uh-oh. Um. Obedience? Honesty and uh, Romans eight twenty five through twenty seven, where the force of that uh, language is that in the midst of obedience, in the midst of of striving to to uh, um, to pray according to God's will, that God responds with us and through that. To, uh, with words that cannot be uttered. Um, another, and oh yeah, the other third word was action. In the midst of, the, the, of our action, and not simply an om position, a lotus position, mm. do we uh, hear God? Mm. Judy? I'm actually going to give this to somebody else to read. Um, Though I want to keep that, and I believe there is word there for me, I believe the word is actually for the church. So you guys can photocopy it. I'm keeping it. <laughs> but um, I need somebody else to read it. Except for I'm the crier in the family, so really this is better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so it says victory and then cheer at the beginning. It says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Where discouragement and fatigue and fear have reigned, I'm inviting you to cry out, to shout, and let me move. <sighs> okay. It will be like Jericho, unexpected, tumultuous, messy, but walking in obedience will, I think, precede this victory. Follow me on the seemingly wrong, follow me on the seemingly long route, and when I say so, shout. I really believe that that message, there's something there for me. I don't know what that is, but I really believe that that message is for the church, and so I will give you guys a photocopy, but I am keeping. <laughs> Here, time for one more, if anyone else wants to share. <laughs> Sorry. I just want to celebrate the fact that the Holy Spirit is alive and active. He lives and moves and has being in our life. Now, whether or not you experience the Holy Spirit in your life today, look in the fact that there are other people that have. 
Now there's some tests that we need to go through in terms of are these things real? Are they random? Are they out of our imagination? Is it an enemy? Is it an outside influence? I don't know. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But the first test is, does it sit with you? Right? Just like Judy is saying, this, I know that there's something in this for me, but there is also something in this for other people. And that's the first test. Second one is scripture, and that God isn't going to reveal something that is outside of his character and outside of the ways that he's acted before. And if it is that way, we need to, we need to figure that out. And it needs to resound with the community of faith. And these are the people that know you, that are a part of your life. It could be the greater community here, or it could be a small group or something you're involved with. But take those words, the things that you think that you're hearing, and bring them to the people that are close to you. Does it fit? And in prayer, we need to test out the spirits. There's plenty of spirits out there that would seek to kill and destroy and lie to us and make it look just enough like truth that we actually fall away from God instead of falling into his arms. I could talk about this all day. If you heard from God today, share. If you didn't hear from God today, ask someone who did. Maybe something on that card will come up in a week. Don't just toss it out and say, well, that didn't work. But for right now, just as we close our time, and I know that we all have to go places, it's a long weekend, probably want to head to the beach or take a Sunday afternoon nap. Whatever it is that you have on your agenda, take the time for a moment to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive and the Spirit is active and moving. He's here. He's spoken this morning. Yeah, there may not have been yelling gibberish and thinking people are drunk, but he is here. Can I get an amen? Like, amen. Let's get it. All right, Ruth Ellen, you take us away. <laughs> and then when she's done, feel free to, to go and celebrate the rest of the day that Jesus is alive. Let's just sing the chorus of Consuming Fire together. <laughs>